Hi, this is Brian Landau, and you're listening to The Drip, a podcast about how to caffeinate your campaigns. Today, I'm joined by Daniel Weber. Dan is president of Edelman's Washington, D.C. office. And in this episode, we talk about having an audience-first mentality, agency frameworks that are born from employee initiatives, and using emotion to help build company values. Dan also talks about ESG and DEI reports, but as you'll hear, he's an advocate for thinking more critically about these executions. For example, the social part of the ESG report is tied to DEI. These aren't separate domains. It's fluid, it's nuanced, and in emotionally charged times, companies are asked to demonstrate their values holistically. Every company is different, but I frequently see ESG and DEI reports as public-facing recaps of the year that was. There is a huge opportunity to storytell to internal audiences throughout the course of the year. What are you learning? What's working? Who are the internal and external voices that need to be heard from on issues like diversity and inclusion or sustainability? How many of your employees know what governance even means? Audio is the most authentic content format available to leaders. It's a human's voice. There's no visual bias. It uniquely allows for storytelling, education, and explanation. What would it sound like for the CHRO or the Chief Diversity Officer to interview board members, clients, leadership, and task force heads about topics like hiring, promotion, pay equity, and philanthropy? What about a Chief Sustainability Officer talking about sourcing, supply chain, and how they are standardizing reporting frameworks? The work happens throughout the year, and the conversation should as well. Venly is an audio platform that allows you to seamlessly and securely share these important conversations to where you do business. Embed your company podcast on SharePoint or Social Chorus, or share them to Microsoft Teams or Slack, all with enterprise-grade privacy, security, and listener analytics. Interested in how audio can play a role in employee engagement at your company or for your clients? Email me directly at brian at venly.co. That's brian, B-R-I-A-N, at venly, V-E-N-N-L-Y, dot C-O. And now, the awesome Dan Weber. Hi, Dan. Hey, how are you, Brian? Dan Weber is the president of Edelman's Washington, D.C. office, where he leads 250-plus professionals that help clients proactively tell their stories and navigate challenges around the world. In this role, Dan leads an integrated team of communication experts, including corporate, brand, public affairs, financial services, health, technology, energy, digital, public sector, creative, and research subject matters in one of the largest hubs in Edelman's global network. Prior to this role, Dan has served as managing director of the office, GM of the corporate and advisory team, and GM of Edelman's DC digital team group. Dan is also currently serving in his eighth year as an adjunct professor at Georgetown University, which, as a Syracuse basketball fan, is an impossible thing for me to comprehend. And he teaches a graduate level class on digital crisis management. He regularly speaks at and lectures at several universities, including the College of William and Mary, Northwestern University, and Howard University. Dan attended the College of William Mary in Williamsburg, Virginia, where he earned his Bachelor of Business Administration in Marketing. Dan, thanks again for being with me. Glad to be here, Brian. Thanks for having me. So we just read this a moment ago um, in your bio, but one of the really unique aspects of leading an agency like Edelman in Washington, D.C. is that you have line of sight into government, association, B2B, consumer practices. Are there some general themes that you're seeing across these different categories? Are there lessons that a government agency, for example, can learn from a B2B brand? Absolutely. It, and it's fascinating. To me, it, it comes down to one word, your audience. 
trying to reach them is sometimes more difficult than it ever has been before. I use sometimes because we have more tools and channels, devices, technology, um, sometimes even a better understanding of who they are and where they are, but there's so much noise and we are competing against so many different pieces of information, storytelling uh, that's out there and their time is finite. So it's, you add on top of that, the fragmented media ecosystem that's out there. What I mean by that is more and more media outlets are closing their doors. There is also this huge distrust in information and our media consumption habits are fragmented as we uh, go, as we went into a pandemic and are now hopefully uh, emerging from it. Uh, that makes it really difficult for marketers and communicators to pinpoint who they're trying to reach, how they're trying to reach them, and with what information. Uh, to me, content is still super important. Uh, and we need to make sure that that content finds that audience. And the holy grail is still having that be an earned activity. So having a, a, a trusted party help drive awareness, interest, and action for those, those audience members. So audiences, to me, is the thing that we're seeing across all those different groups that you mentioned. Uh, and it's, it's kind of the shared thing. And we're, we're trying to learn best practices in each of those, whether it be a brand or B2B or federal government. Uh, we're trying to, to learn uh, different ways and best practices that we can apply to each of those. So when you put audience at the center of the equation and you have this highly fragmented ecosystem that you just described, when we spoke beforehand, you mentioned that human nature is seeing how the pieces connect. So when you put audience at the center of this fragmented ecosystem, what does this mean practically for your client partners? Is there an example of a way that you might be able to help them connect the dots? Yeah, that's a big challenge because I think <laughs> in so many situations, our clients create silos in order to be as efficient and as effective as possible across a big organization. So think of like a multinational organization. Within that multinational organization, there's divisions and, and it could be a big matrix that is a bureaucracy. And those silos have been created to create some efficiencies there. But they also create incredible inefficiencies. Think about talent acquisition, just as an example. Every organization has to do this, but it's just part of how they, they, keep, they keep running. You take a big multinational company or you take a small business and you could have different groups within that organization trying to go out and get prospective uh, job candidates in different ways, using different channels, using different content. They may even be talking about it in different ways with, with instead of one big, broad narrative. Uh, and you start to then take that same kind of topic and apply it to different sorts of, of uh, initiatives. So talent acquisition is one of them. It could be also even tied to if, if your organization is publicly traded and you're talking to your shareholders and analysts and investors, what you might be saying to them could be different than what you're saying to other stakeholders. And that just creates this huge, uh, first of all, inconsistency, but second of all, it could create risk. And that risk is something that we're seeing multiply across just about every organization that we're engaged with, those silos then, which have been created to create those efficiencies, have to work together in order to navigate those risks. And that's that's a lot of what we've been doing over the last 12 to 18 months is, is trying to help our, our clients and new incoming clients think about a consistent message, consistent narrative, and reaching to different stakeholder groups in ways that resonate with them with that consistent message. It's just, it's a very tricky and challenging situation for our clients. 
Staying on this theme a little bit, brands are increasingly publishing ESG reports. ESG stands for environmental, social, and governance. But you've made the point that it can't be an ESG report anymore. It has to be an environmental and social and governance report. In essence, a company needs to think about each element discreetly with its own KPIs, these stakeholders that you just mentioned, right? Is there a right way to unbundle the concept of ESG so that it measures and delivers maximum value? This is very tricky. I think we're seeing a lot of things happen at the intersectional or intersectionality or intersections of each of these. You can have environmental and social um, programming. In fact, that's what we're, we're seeing more and more of this become uh, critical for organizations to be thinking at these intersections. It can't just be these different siloed groups, as we talked about again, of running forward. This is my environmental program, and here are my social programs, and here are my governance-related programs. They are all really being tied together now, uh, more so than we've ever seen before. In some ways, it's really quite exciting uh, because I think it shows the importance that business is having on making impactful change within the planet and within their industry. And it's something we study quite a bit in our trust barometers in terms of um, each year, what's the trust that that in the informed publics or just uh, what, what, what kind of trust do we put in business? What kind of trust do we put in the media? What kind of trust do we put into nonprofit organizations and of course uh, in government? And what we're seeing resonate and come through in, in, our, in our, our trust barometer findings are that people trust business more so than they ever have before. And there's a huge delta between the trust that we have in business versus those other three groups. So this puts a lot of weight on on the business sector uh, to step step up and make meaningful change. And I think what you see with the ESG conversation is that that change has to be good for the business as well in order for them to move forward with it. So I think this question of E plus S plus G, it's so fascinating. I think you'll see so much more of this. It's why we're spending time investing in our purpose groups and our ESG groups to bring brand purpose and ESG together uh, so that they are synced up. And that when you have KPIs in the mix, your KPIs uh, aren't just for ESG stuff, aren't just over on the side, but it's actually tied directly to your business goals, your business results. You think about it as a leader, this is going to be, this can put even more emphasis on, on, on individual leaders to step forward and to have their KPIs tied to the ESG goals as well. That's a pretty big deal. Think about diversity in, in, the, in the workplace. Think about some of our societal issues that CEOs and other leaders are starting to speak up about. They're going to be held accountable to, to their shareholders. They're going, to be, they're going to be held accountable to their other stakeholder groups, including their employees, which is uh, a very important group uh, for them to continue to be thinking about. So this is something that we're going to see a lot more in the future. I, I think it's very exciting, honestly, uh, because it's, it's something that we've talked about and looked at uh, for a long time now. It strikes me that you have this ESG report and that the same company will also publish a DEI report, but specifically the social component feels like it should live maybe with the DEI report, right? There's an internal and an external KPI that lives there. And I'll be curious just as an observer to see what happens over the next year or two years on how companies increasingly think about like the social with the inclusion representation. Well, it's certainly got to, they got to play off each other. They got to be connected. And if they're not, that's where you will see some big disconnects in terms of maybe, you know, maybe it's being, maybe the ESG reports just focused at shareholders and the shareholders want something different than employee groups. But I think that, I think you're totally right. These things have to be 
coordinated. They have to connect much deeper. Uh, and I think they're going to have to, when I talk about connecting much deeper, they have to go all the way into the organization in terms of uh, the KPIs for a frontline manager, for a uh, KPIs for a division manager, for a, a division president. And that's where you start to see really meaningful changes throughout the organization. And I, I, I do think you're right. It's, it's, if you start seeing some of these things separate, you have to start asking why, what's the reason for that? And why can't they be connected together uh, in the future? A lot of your work is removing emotion from this process, right? And helping your partners lean into its values. It's probably easier said than done. And I think that many brands have had a reckoning of values over the last 18 months, which in part is due to the world being just so emotionally charged. Is there an example of how this might play out in some of your conversations? Yeah, I want to back up one second on that point. I've talked about emotion with you previous conversations. I don't think emotion is bad. I think emotion brings with it so many really good um, outcomes, and it drives a lot of motivation from different stakeholder groups who see that emotion. But we have to be very careful because emotion is where we can make some big mistakes, particularly when uh, the stakes are really high. And we've seen this quite a bit in the last 12, 18 months following um, protests around racial injustice. And in those situations, Emotion was was high because there were so many different incoming um, pressures to a CEO or president or other executive to do something, to say something, and rightfully so. This was a really important moment that we were watching. But in those situations, some of the things that I encountered with clients were paralysis because they didn't know how to use their emotion or overreaction, doing things without slowing down and thinking about the, the values of the organization of the, which they represent, uh, the mission of which they're trying to fulfill with their various stakeholder groups. And so all of those things are where you need to calibrate emotion a bit. And what we find in those situations is that there's no scaffolding to make decisions. There's no, there's no support network there to, um, to navigate the tough nuances of the times. And that's where we have come in quite a bit to help put the scaffolding around to, as you said, remove then the emotion a little bit from the discussion. They're still going to come in. People will still come in inevitably to a boardroom conversation or a meeting about racial injustice or about hate or about something. Everyone's going to bring their stuff to the table. But what we try to do is create this framework or parameters to be able to then to navigate the different nuances, concerns, priorities with the organization to then come up with an output and an outcome that I think is a little bit uh, free from, from just the emotional conversation. And, and, and what I've seen over the, the year is if, if you don't have that framework, then the conversation just swirls around and around and around. And sometimes the loudest person uh, who's in the room wins the day. Sometimes it just all goes back to the CEO or the president and they may not know exactly what they need to do. And so this helps create a little bit more process in situations that are really tif difficult to navigate. And we do this in the crisis world all the time. It's, it's impossible to plan for every risk that's out there. But if you put a strong framework and you give yourself scaffolding to then be able to come up with a decision based off of values, based off of your mission, based off of past performance and activities, and based off of where you're trying to go, that 
will create inevitably, I think, a stronger outcome for you as an organization, a principle-based decision. So that's what we're trying to do quite a bit. We're doing this right now. We've worked worked with a number of different organizations just over the last few months uh, following the voting rights issues here in the United States. You know, should we as an organization, should I as a principal say something? My employees are expecting me to, but maybe my customers aren't, maybe my shareholders are not. So this is where we start to put together almost like a logarithm or a calculus of if this, then that, um, a decision tree scaffolding that helps those individuals navigate that really difficult situation. But it's it 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 has to um, it has to start with the core elements of your organization, your values, your mission, um, your your philosophy as a business and organization to then be able to navigate those tough societal issues. What's Floyd Ford? <laughs> yeah, this is uh, I, I laugh because it's it's a group within Edelman that has ap- appeared in the last uh, last summer around this time when we saw lots of protests in the summer. And we realized very quickly back to the earlier points when we were talking about silos, even with within Edelman, we have different groups doing different things. And what we saw very quickly as our clients uh, were trying to navigate the protests of the summer um, was that each client needed different sorts of perspective and counsel uh, around multicultural issues, around employee engagement, about crisis and response, understand the data. And so we put together a task force that represented all those different groups within Edelman to be able to then provide to our clients primarily and originally around the protests following the George Floyd murder, but it then transcended the rest of the year the presidential election cycle, the insurrection on January 6th, the voting rights issues. And this task force, uh, we've seen probably four, 400 plus different assignments since it was first formed. And it's a really, it, it was, it, it's something I'm very proud of. Um, and being, having been at Edelman for 17 years, I haven't seen us do something like that so fast with so much rigor and purpose and focus. Uh, and it's really just been inspiring to see how that group can plug into different client assignments. And we, we've helped clients all around the country navigate some really tricky issues, um, both emotional, but also so important to our society uh, in terms of thinking about what they can produce, what they can do, how, they, how businesses and organizations can use their capital to make a difference. And that's what our Floyd Forward Task Force has done over the last uh, 12 or 14 months. Dan, thanks again for your time and your consideration today. I really appreciate it. If you liked this episode, you will love the next conversation with Lily Diamato. Lily is a senior content and communications manager at Paris Baguette America. This is a must listen for those of you who are interested in franchise marketing and communications. Thanks again for listening. And until next time with Lily.